All right, well, it is so good to be back with you. My name is Matt Carter, and I am the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone. This is my first Sunday back from sabbatical. Um, I've been, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Before y'all miss me, that's cool. It's good to be back. And um, it really is. I, I missed you guys, and I have been excited about today. Today is a little bit different of a Sunday. Um, typically, typically what we do at the Austin Stone is we sing, Aaron and worship leaders around the city at our other campuses get up, we sing songs. We don't do that just to pass time. We do it because we believe that God is worthy of our singing, our worship. It also prepares our hearts to hear God's word through the scripture. And then I come up or one of the other teaching pastors or campus pastors comes up and, and teaches from the scripture, um, most of the time verse by verse, which I'm actually gonna talk about next week. Um, but today's a little different, and I want to jump in and just give you an idea of why <coughs> we're doing what we're doing here today. Um, years ago, I, I taught on a concept here at the Austin Stone of us being a church that is for our city. In other words, what that means is that we're not going to be just a church that's, that's just in the city of Austin. Um, it means that we're not going to be just another church that that has worship services and kind of does our thing and then completely ignores all the needs that are going on around us in the city of Austin. And so we, we taught for several weeks on, on being a church that is for our city, which means that, yes, we, we're going to come in here and we're going to worship, we love God, but they're going to walk out the doors and engage the needs of the city of Austin for the glory of God. And we did that, I think it was back in 2008, 2009 when we taught on that. <clears throat> and one of the many organizations, if you will, that was birthed out of that time in our church was an organization called RBI. And uh, one of the guys that went to the Austin Stone, he heard those messages and, and read the scriptures. And one of the things he realized, one of the ways he thought we can be for the city of Austin is there was a need in East Austin for baseball teams, for specifically youth baseball and softball teams. And so he started this organization called RBI. I'm wearing their, wearing their, uh, their swag today. He, he went into East Austin and started this organization and, um, to meet that need in the city. Now, last spring, my wife and I, Jennifer, we got invited to one of uh, RBI's fundraisers. And I went there. It's one of those fundraisers where you sit in, at a table and, you know, you eat and people get up and talk about the organization. It was great. And as I sat there, I realized that I knew RBI existed. I knew that it was an organization that was kind of birthed, if you will, from the Austin Stone. I knew that they were good, doing great things in the city of Austin, but um, I didn't know all that they had done over the last few years. I found out that night that literally dozens of baseball teams and uh, softball teams had been started in East Austin, dozens of them. And that would have been cool enough. That, that would have been enough to kind of warm my heart and go, man, that's really neat. This is an organization that came from the stone and from folks that were at the stone, and that would be really cool. But then I found out something that I had no idea was going on. I found out that literally hundreds, and you're going to see a video here in a second, but literally hundreds, hundreds of children are being mentored in East Austin, most of whom, many of whom don't have dads, being mentored um, in one-on-one -on -one relationships by mostly folks from the Austin Stone. And I had no idea that was going on, no clue. As I sat there at that RBI banquet and I saw that, I just broke down and I started crying. And I looked over at my wife who was with me when we started this church 14 years ago and she was crying. 
And we got in the car and I asked her, I said, I know why I was crying, why were you crying? And this is what she said, and this was my, my sentiments in my heart exactly. She said, Matt, when we started this church 14 years ago, she said, it, it just blows me away to see all the ways that God is using it, ways that we would have never dreamed, we, that I never dreamed, she said, that God was using this church. And that was my sentiments exactly. I had no idea that, um, that God was doing something like that in the city, and it blew my mind that it all kind of was birthed out of this little thing called the Austin Stone Community Church. Now, I've shared this before, but, but when we started the church back in the day, and uh, it was just a, a couple of couples and uh, about 15 college students. I don't know if you knew that, but we started an apartment. And back in that apartment 14 years ago, um, we used to pray this prayer. We used to pray it a lot. We would get down on our knees and, and we would pray. We prayed this. We said, God, would you do something during our, our time at the Austin Stone? Would you do something? that's so significant that when we look back on it, the only way that we can explain how it happened is to give you the credit for it. That you would do something so significant that the only way that we can explain how it happened is to say, God, you were the one that did it. No talent can explain what happened. No gifting can explain what happened. This didn't happen because some group of people did it, but God, only you could do it. And here's the thing. I, and I'm telling you, as the guy that was there from day one, the guy that's pastored this church the longest, I'm telling you, God has answered that prayer. As, as I have looked back on the last 14 years and, and, and to see the things that he has done through you, to see, to see the things that God Almighty, our living God, has done through you, the only explanation I have for how in the world that has happened is to say that God himself is the one that has been in our midst and he is the one that is doing it. And so two things that hit me that night at the RBI banquet. One is that um, I started this church and I'm, I'm the guy who's been around and I don't even know all the stuff that's going on in the church. I can't tell you, it, it probably happens once every week or two where somebody comes up to me and says, hey, did you know that this was going on in this missional community? Or did you know that this was going on in this country um, through somebody at the Austin Stone? Did you know that this was happening in this organization because of somebody at the Austin Stone? And I'm, it happens all the time. I'm like, no, I had no idea. That was awesome. That's really cool. That's amazing. I had no clue. That hit me. And the second thing that hit me was this is that if I don't know all the stuff that's going on and all the amazing ways that God is moving in our midst, then you probably don't know all the stuff that's going on. And so what we wanted to do is we want to take a Sunday and we just want to tell some stories. We want to just share with you some of the amazing stuff that's going on all around this church through you and, and celebrate some of that stuff. Um, one, we want to do it for this reason. One, and I want you to hear this very carefully. We're doing this today because... I want all of us to see something. I want all of us to see just how blessed we are to be a part of a church that God's hand is upon. I want that to rest on you today. In Revelation 2, um, John, who, the, John the Revelator, the one who, who wrote Revelation, he, he refers to the churches in the New Testament when he wrote this <coughs> as the seven golden lampstands. He called them the seven golden lampstands. And one of, the, one of the things that he said about the seven golden lampstands, he said that Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands. John was referring to the fact that Jesus' presence and his blessing was among the church. 
Jesus' presence and blessing were on the churches. Now, when those churches did things that were contrary to Scripture, when they walked away from the faith, when they walked away from Jesus as their first love, the Scripture says that the Lord removed their lampstand from its place, which means that, that Jesus no longer had his manifest presence and blessing upon that church. As we watch these videos today, I want you to get and understand and be in awe of that we, by the grace of God, are still a part of a church that God's blessing and hand is upon. And that we would worship him today because of that. That's number one. And two, really these videos are just a way for us the elders, the staff, um, to say thank you to you, to say thank you to you. I know you, you don't serve, you don't give, you don't pray for you to be applauded. I know that's not why you're here. I know that's not why you do what you do, but we wanted to take an opportunity, and I believe it's very biblical to say thank you. None of this stuff that you're going to see, it's going to blow you away, that God is doing around the world through this church. None of this stuff would be possible without your generosity, your faithfulness, and your dedication. Okay? And so the first video we're going to see, it's just a story of everyday folks. They go to the Austin Stone. They go to North Campus uh, up in Round Rock. And it's a, um, a couple that were empty nesters that started a missional community in their neighborhood. And the way that God is using it there is pretty amazing. So let's check it out. We'll start the uh, first video. I'm Debbie Kapetsky. Bobby Kapetsky. We live on Amen Corner Road in Pflugerville. Been here about 15 and a half years in this house, built this house here. And I, I, I'm gonna give my wife credit. She's the one that really, I mean, she was obedient to the Lord, but she really said, you know, let's kind of just stop messing around. Let's go out in our neighborhood. We would wave at one another um, we might know their first names, but we certainly didn't have dinner together. We certainly yeah. didn't go into one another's homes, uh, wouldn't know their kids' names, would, wouldn't know about their personal life. So we just prayed about it, and, you know, we kind of said, okay, you say this, I say that kind of thing. And we just knocked on the door, but truly the very first thing we said was, hey, guys, come to our house for dinner. You know, uh, we want to just have conversations about God and what it means in your life. All of them had stories to tell. We all have a story to tell. There was a lot of loss in the room um, that we really didn't even know. Bobby and I had gotten the impression that um, they thought that our life was pretty much a-okay. So God had really led us to, to share some of the pain and suffering that we had already experienced. Um, I just shared with them that I was widowed at a very young age and that I had three young sons. Obviously, Bobby is the greatest blessing from the Lord, and it looks like we've been married since we were 17. Um, and so that was a big surprise to them. And so the room just got so quiet that they were able to say, well, I've lost my parents. Uh, 
My mother gave me up when I was a baby. Uh, my dad died when I was eight years old. My dad wanted me out of the house. I, you know, all these different stories of the different people that all of a sudden you could just feel the cohesiveness of the group. It's a complete blend of ages and places in life, which um, represents a true family. That's, that's the real strength. And now we have, uh, I think, 15 or 16 that come going on three years now. You know, we tell them all the time, if you meet somebody during the week and you feel led, you invite them. Because uh, if this thing gets too big, we'll just keep pushing back furniture, and uh, that's a great problem. One of the most amazing stories, I guess, is one of the couples who's most recently joined us, and their names are Matt and Roberta. They had moved in across the street. I noticed that Matt's garage door was open. Well, he walks across the street for us just to talk. Didn't know a thing about him, and he didn't know a thing about me. And then Matt shared with me that he and his wife had lost their son just the last year. And <laughs> Matt's voice immediately broke, just like mine is right now. So I just reached out and touched his wrist, told him how sorry I was. And I told him, Matt, there's a reason that God brought you to Amy Corner Road. And so I just pointed at all the different houses, and I said, we have this incredible Bible study. We get together every other Sunday night. We eat. We have a fabulous time. Um, but the real deal is we do homework and we study God's Word because that's the only thing you can really stand on. And I'll tell you, Matt, every single person, we've all had struggles. And little did I know that Bobby and I were going to go through some of the worst struggles ever within the next six weeks. Shortly after we'd met Matt, you know, found out about their situation. <clears throat> God took our son home. Um, we don't know God's plans. But God's plans are good. They were, they were right here with us every step of the way. Every step of the way. If we needed anything, we have these people right here that love us. We love them back. And it's just part of being God's family. And so what do you do when that happens to you? You stand on God's promises, what you, what you do know. And um, we don't have to have all the answers because what God's given us is enough. And uh, God clearly had us build this house 15 years ago on Amen Corner. And so he sees the beginning and he sees the end. All that Bobby and I have done, the only simple thing that Bobby and I have done is we've just been obedient. He'll supply you with everything you need. It's, it's shown us uh, uh, as a couple that uh, God will help you to step out and be bold uh, and, and, you know, be a witness for Him. Uh, this has certainly changed our lives uh, forever.
You know what's um, amazing to me about that story when I first saw that video is it just was so encouraging to me to think that um, we're a church that's not just made up of a, of a few pastors that get up and, and live on mission for God throughout the week, but that we're a whole church full of people that are getting up and are living on mission for God. And you don't have to, this also, I mean, Aaron Ivy said this this morning when we were praying for today, He's like, you don't have to get on an airplane and go around the world to see the kingdom of God impacted um, through you, but that you can do it right at your dining room table. And, and that's a story that's being replicated um, all over this city. There's over 300 missional communities all over the greater Austin area, and, um, and that's just unbelievable to me. I have no explanation for that apart from the Lord. Um, this, uh, this next video that we are gonna see is, um, has to do with kind of our For the City initiatives, if you will, that we started years and years ago. And, and again, all this got started about seven years ago when I went on sabbatical for the first time seven years ago. And, and Kevin Peck, uh, our lead pastor here at the Stone, had given me a bunch of books to read. They all kind of had a, the same theme about um, impacting your city for the glory of God. And so I was reading that. And one of the things I wanted to do um, during my time on sabbatical is I wanted to read the Old Testament kind of cover to cover. I'd never done that really in one sitting, just sit down over the course of a, of a few weeks and read the Old Testament. And so I did that. And one of the things that jumped off the page to me <coughs> was God's heart. And you can do this if you want to. It's God's heart for the widow and the orphan. God's heart for the widow and the orphan. God's heart in the Old Testament for the least of these. God was always, always throughout the Old Testament kind of getting on the people of Israel he would get on to them because they had all this blessing, they had, had all this stuff, and they were using all of their resources for their own benefit to better themselves, to better their homes, to better their lands, instead of, and, 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 and ignoring all the people and all the needs and the poor and the widow and the orphan that were all around them. And so God was talking about that all the time. And then I got to Amos 5, and I want to go ahead and, and just read to you Amos 5, um, verse 18, because this was kind of the moment that God really captured my heart towards this. In Amos 5, 18, the Lord is speaking here and he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Is it, is it darkness and not light? So God's speaking here and he kind of begins and says, there's a lot of you out there that are looking forward to the day of the Lord. You're looking forward to the day when God's going to come and kind of destroy all this stuff and make all this right and bring his people back to himself. You're looking forward to that. And he says, that is not necessarily something you need to be looking forward to. And he's speaking to his people. And he goes on in verse 19, he says, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. He's like, this is kind of what the day of the Lord's going to be for you. It's like, you know, that time you were running away from a lion and boom, there was a bear right in front of you. That's what's going to happen to you, the people of Israel. He says, or when I, when I uh, went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Verse 20 says, is not the day of the Lord for you darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Now, why is God saying this stuff? Why is God talking to his people and saying the day of the Lord is... It's going to be rough for you, O people of Israel. And in verse 21, he tells them why. He says, I hate strong language from God. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assembly. God says, when you get together and, and you gather in my name, he says, I take no delight in that. That in the Hebrew means to melt 
or to drain. God says, when you guys are getting together in my name, when you're gathering and having worship services in my name, it drains me, God says. In verse 22, he says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And peace offerings of your fat and animals, I will not even look at them. And in verse 23, God got my attention. In verse 23, the Lord said, take away from me the noise of your songs. That in the Hebrew, noise, it just, it just means that to God, the people were singing to him and they were worshiping him, but it was just like white noise. It was background noise. They were, they were trying to sing to God and he wasn't even listening to it. He goes on and says, to the, to the melody of your hearts, I will not even listen. And again, church, that verse got my attention because at the time, way back in the day, in 2008, and, and, and even today, we are a church that values worship through singing. We, we have the best worship leader in the United States of America. We value worship through singing. And so when I read that, I thought to myself, Lord, have we become this? Has the Austin Stone become this? Have we become that church that, that we're gathering in your name and we're singing in your name, but you're not even hearing it? And then look at the next verse, because in verse 24, God says why their songs had become noise. In verse 24, this God's saying, here's what I want from you. In verse 24, he says, but let justice roll down like waters. Your singing's great, but I want justice to roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Very simply, here's what the Lord just said. He said, there is something he wants more than your worship, attendance, and your singing. He says, I want your righteousness, and I want justice. In other words, justice there, it means to engage in the needs outside of this building. And so we began to call ourselves not just to be a church that worships the Lord and preaches the word, but to be a church that walks out of the doors and engages in the needs of the city of Austin. And so let's watch this video. And uh, we're gonna see some pretty cool stuff about God, how God is using us to be for our city. My name is Hope. Ramos, and I'm the mother of Eric Munoz. There's been a lot of conflict with my two older children, Eric being one of the, my main ones. When Eric learned and started dealing with his real father's death, he started lashing out. He met his dad one time, but that day to Eric, it was one of the happiest I had ever seen him. So when we got the phone call a year later, it broke me in a sense because this was news I was going to have to give to my son. He uh, started having his anger spurts, lashing out at his stepdad a lot, lying a lot about different stuff. He just put on this bad boy persona. It was right around that time when they were partnering the kids up with RBI. And she said, well, would you like for him to have a mentor? They're trying to find you. And I said, yes. I said, I, I would love for him to. My name is Patrick Mercer. And when I found out that there was a mentoring program through RBI, I wanted to, to see how I could get involved. When I first met the family, I didn't really know what I was getting into. You know, it's hard to, hard to relate sometimes. Naturally, I wanted to do everything I could to just be there for him. He's not 
talking through his feelings, he doesn't want to open up about it. I said, and I really think that's affecting him right now. And Patrick goes, okay. Patrick would come once a week to get Eric. And Eric was always excited to go. Mom, I'm going with Patrick today at this time. I said, yes, he'll be here. I think Eric gets super excited to see me because he knows that we are going to have fun. He's a great kid. I feel like my job is easy. He, he makes it very uh, fun, and he makes me excited to come and spend time with him. Later on, we finally came out and told Eric that his dad committed suicide. And I got Patrick's input, and he goes, I can pick him up right after if you want me to. We can, we can deal with it. He needs someone to be there for him. And even though his real dad is gone, um, you know, he has a father in heaven who loves him and pursues him and cares for him. And if I can help show that, I'll be on call, right? Like, if you need me to come to the house, like, because I didn't, no one knew how I was going to take that. Eric was only eight years old. I thought telling him his dad dying would be the hardest thing I ever had to do. Telling him his father committed suicide was the hardest thing. After that, I had called Patrick and I said, well, he took to it, you know it hurt him, but he took to it and he goes, well, did you want me to pick him up today? And I was like, you know, I think it would be a good idea to kind of get his mind off of everything for a little while. They went and they hung out and Eric came back and he was all happy. We were there, but we needed an extra hand and Patrick was that extra hand. I'm just so glad we were blessed with him. Blessed that RBI does it. With the mentoring guy, I, sometimes I think to myself, I don't know what we would have done if Patrick hadn't came in when he came in because he has helped so much. So much. Fortunately, RBI has a mentoring program that allows me to, to work with kids like Eric and really get to spend more time and get to know the families and really have more meaningful, impactful conversations on what are you dealing with? How can I help? It starts to feel less and less like a have to and a check the box item and more of a want to do item. I don't know at this point how I could not continue to be involved in some way, shape, or form just based on the relationship that we've built uh, just in the last year. The change and how I can be a part of that change has really kind of made things all worthwhile in the end for me. Over the past two years, God has done amazing things. The story we just watched is just one life that's been changed through the work God has called us to. And that story is far from the only one. Before Project 320 began, God had already used us to take the gospel to more places, engage in more mercy, and mobilize more leaders than we ever thought possible. But we were confident that God wanted to do even more, and he did. Because of your generosity and involvement, we've been able to live out the greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor through ministry to the poor, the widow, the marginalized, and the orphan. Project 320 allows us to invest even more deeply in the restoration and redemption of the gospel in our city. God has expanded Restore Foster Care to numerous families who care for hundreds of foster kids and for one another. In addition, he's raised up hundreds of volunteers to care for kids in foster care 
in other ways and deepened our influence in how our city and even our state cares for them. As God has moved in Austin, the church is making great strides forward in an effort to one day have more families waiting for children than children waiting for families. Another way we've built relationships in our city is through our youth sports initiatives, TCS Volleyball and RBI Austin. God has grown these programs leaps and bounds beyond what we first imagined. In 2016, RBI has 58 baseball and softball teams, made up of 814 baseball and softball players, 51 of whom have been matched directly with a mentor. And TCS Volleyball has grown to 42 volunteers, giving more than 3,300 hours of their time to train and mentor 743 athletes. It is so humbling to think that between these two initiatives, God has given us the opportunity to serve, love, and share the gospel with thousands of young athletes. And we pray that there are still thousands of kids still to come. God has also continued to bear fruit through the For the City Center. Beyond hosting Austin Stone services on Sunday, he's using it to house 11 nonprofit tenants doing untold good for our city. God continues to produce far more fruit through us than we thought possible. Thank you for helping make this happen. So, so don't raise your hand, but how many of you even knew that was happening? I mean, how many of you even knew that we have a building in St. John that, in the St. John neighborhood that's called the For the City Center? There's an Austin Stone sign that's, that's about this big, and it's in the back, and we meet there on Sundays, and people go to church there, and it's really awesome. But the rest of the week, um, 11 nonprofit organizations office there. And throughout the year, literally tens of thousands of people are ministered to um, throughout the week. And it's, it's, uh, it's one of the things that, man, for just lack of better words, I'm, I'm so proud of. I'm so thankful that the Lord has done that in our church. And the, the next video we're going to see is, is uh, some of the ways that you guys as a church are impacting the next generation of believers with the gospel. Our next gen ministry, our children, our students, and the authors, uh, excuse me, also through foster care and adoption. One of, the, one of the really miraculous and powerful ways that God is moving through the Austin Stone that most people have no clue about is in the area of foster care and adoption. I mean, good way to put it would probably be revival. It's unbelievable. It's powerful. I'll show you a video about it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. My name is Christina Robles. I'm 17, and I'm from South Austin. I was born on February 10th, 1999, and I was born in a small town in Cuero. I felt like I was like born into um, foster care and um, I don't remember a time like that I wasn't in foster care. I just remember it was always going somewhere, getting taken away from my dad, um, going to a new foster home and getting taken out of the foster home, going to a shelter home and just, yeah, being back and forth and not being in a stable home. I didn't know a normal life, I guess. But then I came here and that was where it really happened. I just remember we're sitting down on the couch, we're going over the rules. My parents, Hope and Elias, they went 
to get us pizza and we're just like looking at each other like what's like this is nice. I was 14 years old when I got adopted. Me and my little brother Christian got adopted. I first learned that my parents had a strong faith for God. Um, when the first day we came, they told us that we're gonna go to church. When I started students ministry at Austin Stone, I was really nervous and shy because I'm like, I'm not gonna fit in. But then when I first went and they were like welcoming me, like they're like, oh, hi, my name's so-and-so. And they're like, what's your name? Where do you go? Um, how old are you? And they're just very welcoming. Then finally we went to this switch camp. That's where it really happened. I was becoming closer to other people and I was like, this is what I want to be around. I want to get to know God more and um, be closer to him and be more like him. And I remember me and my cousin Sammy coming back from camp. We were like really pumped and we we're just like going back and forth, like telling my mom everything. And we we're saying how we wanted to worship forever. And we're gonna study the Bible. We're gonna do these reaps. We were like really excited, and I don't know, just getting to know him better. And we're like, this is like what we want to do. Uh, to me, adoption means like permanent. I'm here forever. They're gonna be in my life forever. I'm gonna be in your life forever. Hopefully, yes. Um, they're like loving and caring and it's just something that oh I'm gonna go to college and I'm they're always gonna be here come back even like the thought of me going going to probably go to college I'm gonna be able to go to college and me getting through high school it's because of them and they're just loving encouraging and um, caring and they're they're the ones who showed me God, um, and they even encouraged me with him. And I felt like a lot of hate when I was little, and I was the one like with my little brother, and we were just in the house alone, and my dad was like gone. We don't know where he was at. Just. Um, by ourselves, um, worrying where our dad was at or wondering when he's gonna come. Now, I just know that it was just a plan he always had for me and he was just giving me the story to share for him. And God is like a father to me. He's um, someone that wouldn't break promises and keeps promises. Um, he's just um, someone you can always count on and will always be there. And even if you're lost and you wouldn't feel him, I still know, like, he's there. Like, I don't know, he's just, yeah, like a father you would always dream of. <laughs> Two years ago when we kicked off Project 320, 
we hoped and prayed that God would abundantly provide for growth in our kids' and students' ministries. And through your generosity, God provided all of that and more. In the last two years, we've been able to better love, teach, and walk alongside kids and students just like Christina, who all have stories that God Himself is writing. First, God provided us with 10 more staff members and expanded our team to include over 200 committed volunteers. We've also developed consistent worship bands for students at every campus. And we are almost finished making our very first Kids at Austin Stone worship album. Second, there's no doubt that kids and students grow best with great leaders and in great environments. We wanted to increase our capacity to prepare these boys and girls for a lifetime of walking with Jesus. Let's face it, five out of our seven campuses are portable. They meet in schools. This is always one of our biggest obstacles. Through newly designed and larger spaces at our campuses, our teams now have great environments in which they can develop the next generation of disciple makers. In our kids' ministry, we've been able to consistently help our kids learn the Bible in ways that they're wired to remember. From our Detective Academy, which teaches them four basic detective skills to seek and know Jesus, to our On Guard series, teaching them how to stand firm against the enemy, and to our summer camp in the city experience with Pine Cove, which provides an environment where fun is used to break down walls and introduce kids to Jesus maybe for the very first time. For our sixth to 12th grade students, we deeply desire for the Austin Stone to be a place where they can feel the presence of Jesus in worship, have community to share life with, and develop relationships for biblical training and mentorship. Since 2014, our average Sunday attendance has more than doubled to over 230 students. And through DCOM groups, we've tripled the number of students who are being personally discipled each week. Each year, we take a group of 35 students to serve missionally in the Dominican Republic. And this past summer, not only did we take right around 100 students to summer camp, but we actually were able to baptize nine of them in the ocean, which brings us to right at 63 student baptisms over the last two years. As our kids and students grow toward adulthood, we want to prepare them for a life of loving and obeying Jesus. And God is accomplishing that even more through you, the generous people of the Austin Stone. And we know we're not done. And I cannot wait to see what he has for us next. I love that. And did you know that since we began our foster care uh, initiative in 2013, there have been 1,511 people from our church, the Austin Stone, that have become involved in volunteer opportunities specifically in the foster care system in the city of Austin. 1,511 individual people that have gotten in the fight like God calls us to for the orphan. It's unbelievable. Check this out. Since 2013, 40 children, 40 children have been adopted out of the foster care system into our home here at the Austin Stone Community Church. That's unbelievable. And I asked our finance guy, I said, how much, how much money 
have, has the stone given towards um, adoptions, the foster care uh, initiatives that we have? And he said it was in, um, above $500,000 since 2013 has gone through that. And as a matter of fact, as we speak, we still have close to $300,000 in a fund that is earmarked specifically to help families who want to adopt. And so if you want to adopt or you got fired up today, there you go. There's $300 waiting on you. So the next video we're going to see, um, if, I, if I have to just be totally honest, because I love all these with all my heart, but this, this next one is probably my favorite for a couple reasons. And, and one, we're going to talk about, and this is the last one, we're talking about church planning, the way that our church is involved with church planning, which a lot of you guys probably don't know anything about. And then one you, a lot of us probably do know about, and that's our 100 people network. <clears throat> when, I was, when I was fundraising to start the Austin Stone back in 2002, was just poor as I could possibly be. And, and it, one of the things that stinks about being a church planner is you got to go around and ask people for money. And one of the things that really kind of broke my heart, honestly, about the process was I probably went to 30, maybe 35 different churches and would meet with their pastor and ask them for funds, even a small amount, to help the Austin Stone get started. Out of those 30, I had one church that said that they would support us financially. And so I made the decision that if, we, if this thing ever works, right, if this Austin Stone thing ever gets off the ground, that we are going to be generous in supporting other church plants financially. And, um, and so one of the things, I don't, you probably don't even realize we do this, but we, we are very generous to church plants all over the United States and around the world. Um, since the beginning of our church, we have given $2.1 million dollars to other church plants around Austin and the United States and the world. 2.1 million, yeah, that's a lot of money that we've given away. Um, the thing you probably don't know is, is just the involvement of our staff and elders in coaching other church planters around the city and around the nation. One of the guys that we've supported financially, I think we gave him 25,000, was Matt Tuning. Matt preached at our summer preaching series a few weeks ago. He's one of our guys. Uh, we're heavily involved in just kind of coaching him. He's a church planner in Boston, which I don't know if you knew this, but Boston is a hard place to plant a church, and he's just killing it there. And so we're going to see a quick video about him and what their church is doing. Celebrate that because just know that the Austin Stone was huge and that thing getting off the ground. And then the, the second part of the video, which I think is just going to blow you away, is about our 100-people network. Now, if you're new to the Austin Stone, here's what the 100 People Network is. And you're going to hear us say that word a lot. Several years ago, some of the young guys on staff came to us old dudes on staff and said, we have a dream that we could send 100 people from our church body to an unreached people group around the world. Now, unreached people group, and I, I, the number changes, but basically it's, I believe, and I'm, I'm, my mission guys are going to kill me for not knowing the number, but I believe it's less than 1%. Uh, reached people in a country. And so that's an unreached people group. I'm not talking about um, going to Oregon uh, to plant a church. I'm talking about going to places where they'll kill you if they find out you're a believer. So the call was to raise up 100 people from the Austin Stone to go and to do that. Um, the, the latest numbers that I just heard this last week is as of right now, we have almost 200 people that have left the comfort of this building and left the comfort of Austin, have gotten on an airplane, sold everything, and are in places all over the world proclaiming the name of Christ. There is literally, there is, the, the sun literally never sets on the ministry of the Austin Stone, the ministry of Christ through you 
the Austin Stone. I, 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 I had no clue about the numbers as far as finances. And so I asked our finance guys, I was like, all right, what have we given? And since 2010 alone, you, the Austin Stone Community Church, us, we, has given $2.5 million since 2010 alone to missionaries. The vast majority of those have been in unreached people groups around the world. That's not counting 2002 to 2010, which we're estimating because I was keeping the finances back then and I lost a bunch of stuff. Um, but that, from 2002 to 2010, we're estimating that around $3 million was given to missionaries from the stone and around the world. And so when you add all that up, just from for the, the, the money that you've given to church planning and missions, it's pretty much, it's close to $7 million since the beginning of our church. Have you ever wondered why in our biggest campus we still meet in a gym? Did you, ever, did you, ever thought, you ever thought about that? We're one of the largest churches in the United States of America. Ever crossed your mind while we meet in a gym? It's because we're giving all our money away. Because we believe, nothing wrong with buildings. We own a couple of them. But we believe that we have a really small window to make an impact on the kingdom of God. And that's what we're trying to do. Check out this video. Put my head down one night and uh, I had a dream and I knew I was planting a church and I knew I was in Boston. Uh, I was literally at, in Boston Commons and it was outside and I remember it very, very, very clearly. For whatever reason, I knew we were setting up shop for church. I wound up uh, having the same dream the next night and then the next night and then the next night. So on the fifth night, I remember saying to Beth, if God were to call us to plant a church, where do you think he would call us? And you said, what? Ugh, probably Boston. That's exactly what she said, and she probably said it just like that. The first step that we took was we wanted to be assessed, just to know, make sure that we were, like, called to this, and it wasn't just something that we, like, came up with in our minds. So Matt decided to go through Acts 29. And it was, it was literally the greatest process we've ever gone through. I mean, in addition to dealing with just theology and stuff like that, I mean, they got down to the nitty-gritty in our souls. Uh, it was probably one of the most sanctifying things that we've gone through, because they did mission and community extremely well. So those first 30 days when we were living in that other apartment and we weren't even in our house yet, that I wanted to try to meet with as many people as I could to just understand what our context and culture was like out here. The North Shore Magazine asked me to sit down, so I sat down with them and did like this little interview with them. They were asking questions about like, who's a part of your church? And I was like, well, there really aren't anybody a part of our church yet. And so they wanted to do this photo shoot, but they wanted to do it with people who are a part of our church. And so we, we gathered together all the people that we knew. 30 people showed up that night. The North Shore Magazine wound up not showing up that day at the Vision Night. So I wind up just telling everybody about Jesus and like how you all should believe in Jesus and you should be a part of our new church. Then we send everybody on their merry way thinking, well, what's gonna happen now? I wonder if they'll come back. I was sharing our story with the person who runs the YMCA, and the head of the YMCA said, we're not open on Sundays, and so you could just use the Y. It was like, what? You're just gonna give us keys? Like, that's insane. So here we are, we've got uh, not a lot of people. We've had 
two vision nights at our house. We have keys to a YMCA building. We've got a magazine that's publishing the fact that we're launching a church on January 23rd. I've never preached this sermon two weekends in a row. I have no idea what I'm doing. We're only four months into living in a new area and we're supposed to launch a church. And it was like, okay, we're just gonna mobilize this group of people and see what happens, right? And so we do. And we open the doors and 120 people walk in through the front doors of our church at the YMCA. Four months ago, I'm sitting in North Carolina, laying in a bed asking my wife, how the heck do you start a church? And four months later, um, I'm pretty much at that point pastoring a church of 120 people in one of the least reached regions of the United States in an area where churches don't get started. And so that's when things began to get like different It took us about a year to realize we're growing, but we're not very healthy. From an outside perspective, you would think that everything is just awesome. But what you don't know is that we didn't really have any clear direction. My leadership has to change some. You have rent to pay and you have lights to put on and you have salaries. I've never done this before. I've never planted a church. I've never led staff before. And I needed help. I didn't know what I was doing. And so... um, That's when I hooked up with some outside coaching. I got to be a part of uh, a cohort with about um, eight other pastors uh, who were a lot further along than we were in a church. And, uh, And they just began to coach me through these things. Like these issues that we were dealing with were not new to them at all. They had all kind of walked through very, very similar things. And so I, I leaned heavily on their leadership and their, their coaching and, um, and we began to make some changes. So through all the craziness of planting a church and the craziness that associated with like leading and being a pastor all of a sudden and like all of that, you know, you, it's so easy to get caught up in like the details and the drama and just all of the, the difficulties that you have at times. But I think more than anything, what Beth and I would say is like, the Lord has grown us through that season. And now we're to a place where I look at the health of our church and I see all the people that are involved and I see people excited about what God's up to. And I've been able to step back and look at the big picture. And I've been able to step back and say, whoa, there's a million people on the North Shore. And a lot of those people don't know who Jesus is. But God's gonna change that. Paul says to the Philippian church, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the craziest things you'll realize about Paul, having seen so many things in his life and having been used by God in so many ways that when Paul thanks God, when Paul goes before his God and says, thank you, It's striking that almost every time he's thanking God for people, not for things, not for stuff, but for people. And when we as a leadership team began to put these stories together to bring them back to this church, I want you to know that this scripture made more sense to us than it ever has before. It became really easy watching all that has happened throughout the world to be able to stop before God and say, my thank you today is for the people of God in this church. And so with Paul, And with everybody that you've seen in this video, we want to say that we thank our God in heaven for you. I thank my God for you. 
We thank God for you. I thank my 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 God for you. Sizin için Rabbimize şükür ediyoruz. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for you. Teşekkür Allah aşkım. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for you. We thank our God for you. We thank our God for you. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for you. We thank our 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 God for you. I thank my God for you. We thank our God for you. We thank our God for you. See, here's the deal, Austin Stone. When you give financially to this church, when you come and you serve, when you, when you worship, when you pray, I want you to know that that time, that effort, that service, that prayer, those finances, they are not for nothing. You are literally changing eternity through those things. And I just want to add to the list of people that just did to say this. From the guy that was there when this was nothing but a dream, I just want to tell you, Austin Stone, I thank my God for you. Let's pray together and let's worship him for all that he's done. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done. I, I pray that if there's any in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that, that they would see really clearly that this is not the work of man, that you're alive, that you're real, and that you can change their life right now. Jesus, we do all this for you. You're the, you're the only reason we do this. We give you all the glory all the praise, all the honor. I pray that you would continue to be exalted above the name of any man or this church. For you are worth it. I love you, I praise you, I thank you. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Let's stand together, church.